I'm trying this year every month to preach one message, bring one message that ties into our theme of come boldly. And aren't you glad that we have the opportunity to come before the Father's throne through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? What a blessing that is. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 14. Hebrews 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Dear Heavenly Father, help us this morning as we concentrate on praying for others. Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. And yet as we look at the world around us and as we look at people that we love, there's trouble everywhere. So, Father, teach us how to pray for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. And it is a wonderful thing to be able to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and to have those petitions through the Son taken to the Father. And the wonderful thing about this is understanding that God is able to do anything. Is that the best that we can do? Here, let's try this again. And I know some of you are still asleep, time change, all of that. But let's try this again. It's wonderful to know that the God to whom we pray is able to do anything. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, and that is a wonderful and it's an exciting thing. Whatever your problem is, God is able and willing to handle it. And the only reason that we have the opportunity to come boldly is because Jesus Christ has passed into the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He came and lived. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was crucified on a cross that He didn't deserve, was buried for three days, then rose from the dead, proving forever that He was and is and always will be God. When he rose from the dead, he walked on this earth for about 40 days, teaching his disciples, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says now he is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He is interceding. He is there as our mediator, our go-between. What a wonderful thing that is. So we have access to the Father based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is a wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. I wonder if you prayed today. I mean, I know that we all prayed a moment ago, but I wonder if you have bowed your head, bowed your heart, bowed your will to your Heavenly Father today. It's one of those things that we, we, ha- we have blessings. You know, I, I have golf clubs, but I've not been taking advantage of them, and I, I'm confessing that sin to you today. I have this <laughs> gift that God has given me, and I've not taken advantage of that amazing gift of golf. How many of you would say that golf is not a gift? It's a curse. (laughs) Amen. I understand. I've played like you before. Um, (laughs) That's not right, is it? You know, it is a shame. You know, I have a whole shop full of tools that I rarely use anymore. And I've got to get to work. There's some things I need to do around the house and take advantage of those tools. But the greatest tool that God has given us is the tool of prayer. The tool of prayer helps us to understand His Word. His Word helps us to understand what to pray. And then we know how to intercede for others. So let me ask you this question this morning. How many of you know someone that either needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not born again, or you know someone who is born again who who, who is struggling? 
they have a, a physical ailment or an emotional problem or a relationship problem or a financial problem. Or some, you might have loved ones who live in countries where there's not freedom. How would you like to be living in Syria right now? With the bombing that's going on in homes, I was looking at, uh, I was cleaning my office this week and I, and I came across a card that I got from one of the pastors while I was in Lebanon. And it's a pastor who pastors in homes, the, the city that's being bombed. Well, that man needs us to pray for him. We, we need to pray for him. How many of you know someone that's going through something and, and they need your prayers? How many of you know someone that's like that? Amen. Me too. But how many of you have ever been in a situation where you're watching someone, you're watching their life experience, you see what's going on in their life, and honestly, you don't know how to pray for them? And you might say, Lord, please do your will in this area. But after you're done praying that, you feel like there's so much more that you could pray, but you don't know quite how to approach God's throne for that person. Well, we have a great example of how to do this in Daniel chapter 9. So let's go there. Daniel chapter 9. This morning, we're looking at come boldly for someone else. Come boldly for someone else. We're talking about intercessory prayer, making intercession for someone else. So before we do that, if I'm going to preach a whole message on intercession, maybe we should define intercession. That's not a word that we use an awful lot. Definition of intercession. This is from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It's the act of interceding, which is not really very helpful. Uh, Noah, thank you. Mediation, interposition between two parties at variance with a view to reconciliation. Okay, let me say that slowly now. It is the interposition or the interposition between parties at variance with a view to reconciliation. All right, so let me get some help here. Nathaniel and Gary Yates. Why don't you guys come up here and help me for a minute? Nathaniel Tennant and Gary Yates. All right, so now, Nathaniel, why don't you just stand right here? Gary, why don't you stand right here? And these two are having a fight. All right, we've got a public school teacher, we've got a Christian school principal. And the battle's on. He is for Satan and atheism and secularism, and he's for everything godly. No, no, that's not the battle, okay? <laughs> Look, here, okay, so they're, they're, they're mad at each other, and they're in a fight with each other. All right? So, okay, go ahead, guys. No, 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 you're not acting your part at all. You're not acting your part. These guys are mad at each other. Listen, listen to me. I need to straighten you out. <laughs> no, that's not good. You don't want to be straightened out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is intercession. Okay? This is intercession. You know, you really ought to treat your elders with more respect. <laughs> and you really need to understand the foolishness of the young. And set a good example. That's right. You, you know better than this, and you know better than this. Here's the problem. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. God has a plan for us. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. And this isn't it. So we both love the Lord Jesus Christ, or both of you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of you are saved. Both of you. have. God has a plan for you. And if you ruin your testimony through something like this, then that's not going to be accomplished. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray 
and see if we can find a solution biblically to this problem. What did I just do? I, intercede, I, I was the interceder. And my job in this intercession is to bring reconciliation between two parties that are variants. They're fighting. My job is to get them not only to stop fighting, not only get them to stop fighting, but to get them to have a common purpose. See, we can stop the fighting in Palestine, but how are we going to get them to have a common purpose? Is that right? That, that's the problem. When you had the Troubles and you had in, in Ireland and you had Northern Ireland and the, the, the nation of Ireland and England and the battle between the Catholics and the Protestants, you're never going to get them to be of one purpose. They were counter-purposes. Intercession. Intercession. The purpose of intercession is to bring them to one purpose. To bring them to one purpose. Thank you guys for helping. Wait, wait. I got my boys here. Josh, Aaron, take care of him. (laughs) (laughs) Now we know what's really going on at the Christian school. (laughs) They have to kiss the ring when they come in. I'm going to do you this favor. So... This is what intercession is. But this is as important as that would be. Now, how many of you think it would be, how many of you think it would be important to come between two brothers in Christ who are at variance and try to to get a solution so we can all serve God together? How many think that would be important? And it is very important. But now think about this. Now think about a brother or sister who is at variance with God. They're living a life. There's something going on in their life that is at variance with God. Now we understand what intercessory prayer is about. You have parties that are at war, saved or unsaved, but they're out, they are not going according to God's plan. Now we understand what intercessory prayer is. It is the believer praying for the one, praying for the one who is at odds with God. Um... Now, we're going to study Daniel here. But one of the things that I want us to understand as we study this prayer of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 is we have to understand what an exceptional man Daniel was in the Bible. The, the Babylonian captivity took place. The children of Israel had, had sinned against God. They had rebelled against God. They had not kept, kept God's year of jubilee for 490 years so God told them he was going to take their, those years back. And he was going to take them into captivity for 70 years. And so Daniel and other of the finest young men in Israel were taken captives and made a part of the royal court. And Daniel himself, if you go to Daniel chapter 1, look what the Bible says about Daniel. He's just a young man. But Daniel purposed in his heart. We're in verse 8, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So even as a young man, Daniel was already a man of integrity. Daniel was already a young man of purpose. He purposed in his heart 
that he would not defile himself with the food of the world. He, he had purposed in his heart. So Daniel was a very interesting man. Daniel was bold. He was faithful. He was committed. He, he was incorruptible by the world. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was a man of, of accomplishment. He was a man that even the pagan kings could trust. He was an amazing man. That's the man that Daniel was. He was consistent, trustworthy, virtuous, obedient, and worshipful. And so he prayed. And what had happened was he was he had just come through Daniel chapter 8, where in Daniel chapter 8, if you look at it with me, in Daniel chapter 8, God has revealed to Daniel that he is going to bring much harm to Israel. And he describes this Antichrist that's going to come. Look at verse 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So he's going to stand up against... Jesus Christ, and He's going to be broken without hand. How's He going to be destroyed by Jesus? With the word of His mouth. It's not much of a fight, is it? Verse 26, And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told, is true. Wherefore, shut up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And so He has this vision of what's going to happen in the tribulation, how awful it's going to be, this Antichrist that's coming, the destruction that's coming to Israel. And look at His response. Look at Daniel's response in verse 27. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward, I rose and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So Daniel has received this vision of the Lord of terrible things that are going to happen to his people. And it, it, it crushed his heart. And so now he goes back to the Word of God, and he starts studying his Word. And so the first thing that I want you to see as we start studying this concept of intercessory prayer, is the, is the amazing possibilities of intercessory prayer. How many of you would say, Pastor, I have prayed for someone before. I've gone to the Lord for someone before. I want you to notice something that happens here. Verse 1, In the year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now let me explain that verse to you real quickly. All right? Darius, Darius is the title. His name is Cyrus. He's the son of Ahasuerus. Now, there were lots of, of Babylonian kings who called themselves Ahasuerus. All right? So we're not sure which Ahasuerus this would be. But that's who this is. And he became king after Daniel chapter 5. Remember what happened in Daniel chapter 5? They're taken into Babylon. Babylon is conquered by the Persians. By the Persians. So the Medes and the Persians were two groups of people in the Persian Empire. And when it says he is of the seed of the Medes, he was not born of the, the Medes. He was a Persian. But his role as king gave him access to the lineage of those people. So he could rule the Medes and the Persians together. And the land of Chaldea is the land of Babylon. So they conquered, of course, Persia, but they also conquered Babylon. The land of the Chaldeans is where Babylon was, and that's where the children of Israel had been taken. So he's the king there. This is the first year of his reign. Daniel is praying. And so now look at what it says. In the first year of his reign, verse 2, 
I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. All right, so here's what's going on. Daniel is reading the Bible. He's reading the books of Jeremiah. What are the books of Jeremiah? Jeremiah and Lamentations. Two different books that Jeremiah wrote. And so Daniel had access to copies of these books. So the first thing that I want to say is this. Daniel had the Word of God. He read the Word of God. And he believed the Word of God. Even though he was receiving revelation from God that would become the book of Daniel, he also realized that he needed to be in and understand God's Word. So what he learns in God's Word is that the captivity was only for 70 years. Now, I'm sure that he knew that. But how many of you have ever known something in the Word of God and you're reading it and all of a sudden it strikes you, hey, this is true. And he's doing some math. And he realizes, you know what? I've been here for about 67 years. So Daniel's in his 80s at this point. And he realizes the 70 years are almost over. And so he goes to God and he begins praying about the 70 years. Let's look at a couple of the verses that Daniel would have been reading. Go to Daniel chapter, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 25. Just back a couple of books in your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 25. Verse 11. Jeremiah 25, 11. Isn't it interesting that almost 3,000 years ago, someone was reading what we're about to read? That's amazing. That's the amazing preservation of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 25, look at verse 11. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when... Now, stop right there. Shall serve the king of Babylon. Well, wait a minute. No, no. Artaxerxes was toppled in chapter 5. Yeah, but they were still serving the king of Babylon. It's just now Darius instead of Artaxerxes. So they're going to serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished. Now, now, again, look at the words of Scripture. <coughs> the words of Scripture. This was not something bad that had happened. This was something that God accomplished. 70 years of judgment on the nation of Israel. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon... And that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. Look at chapter 29. So he's seeing that after 70 years, God's going to come back for His people. After 70 years, God is going to deliver them. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, in causing you to return to this place. To what place? To Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. So after 70 years, God was going to come to His people and He was going to, to do something good for them in bringing them back to Israel. That's what Daniel read. And Daniel believed it. So now let me ask you a question. 
When you read an Old Testament passage like that, do you believe it? When God makes a promise to the nation of Israel, do you believe that that promise is going to come true? You know what the Bible says? That the land of Israel is supposed to go from the River Nile to the River Babylon. That's a whole lot more than that tiny little piece that they have right now. So here's what I know. One of these days, it's all going to be Israel. I believe that. I believe that. Now, it's going to take a lot for that to happen, but how many of you think that's going to be hard for God? (laughs) No. Is anything too hard for God? No. So Daniel read Jeremiah, and he believed it. But then, he prays. This is. I, I want to talk to you about the amazing possibilities of intercessory prayer. He prays for deliverance after 70 years. He prays that God would accomplish what he promised. And you know how God answers it? In the same chapter, he tells him about 70 weeks of years. See, Daniel prays for God to simply fulfill his promise. But because of the way that he approached God, God told him what was going to happen until the end of time. You see, the request was for, for deliverance. The request was for, re- was for restoration. The request for restoration comes and God tells him, I'm not only going to restore, I'm going to send the Messiah. And he tells him exactly the day when the Messiah would come. He tells him literally the day, 463 years later, when the Messiah would come. What an amazing thing. You see, the amazing possibility, when you ask God for something, you don't have any idea what He's going to accomplish. The Bible says He's able to do more uh, above all that we ask or think. All we have to go, all we have to do is go and ask Him. The amazing possibilities. How many of you know somebody that their life is such a mess? Their life is such a mess. You don't even have to know how to pray for them. Well, I can promise you this. If you will pray for them, you have no idea what God can accomplish in their lives. You have no idea what He can accomplish. He prayed for restoration. God answered with the Messiah. He prayed in a moment. Think about this. 3,000 years ago, Daniel prays this prayer. Do you know that we're living in the middle of the answer right now? Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Then, we have the amazing possibilities of intercessory prayer. But there are some absolute prerequisites to intercessory prayer. All right, so let me ask you again. And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, there's someone that you really need to pray for right now? That, that they, they need God's help, and you're recognizing that they need God's help. There are some prerequisites. Let's look at verses 2 and on. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Verse 3. And I set, We're in Daniel chapter 9, we're in verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. So Daniel begins praying, and I want you to see three prerequisites, absolute prerequisites. What is required if we're going to come to God? The first thing is this, humility. It's just humility. Look at verse 3. 
And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and fasting, or by prayer and supplications with fasting, and sackcloth and ashes. What is that? That was in their culture. It was a kind of clothing that you had put on that was very uncomfortable. And then ashes, they would pour ashes over themselves to make themselves uncomfortable because they weren't worthy to go to God. It was sorrow. They weren't worthy to go to God. Now, aren't you glad that God hasn't required that of us? But He still requires humility. What does the Bible say? God resists the proud, but giveth giveth grace to the humble. So as we go to God, the first thing that we have to understand is we don't deserve to go to God. When we go to pray for someone else, we don't want to be like the Pharisee who said, I'm thankful that I'm not like these lowly publicans. We need to understand that we have to approach God in humility. And so here's the idea. Here's the idea. Imagine me going to pray for Nick. And, I, and here, here's my attitude in prayer. Nick is such a loser. Why can't he be like me? How many of you think that's the appropriate way to pray? And yet, we might, not, we might not verbalize it that way, but that's our attitude. I don't like his behavior. I think he ought to do this. I think. Is that humility or is that arrogance? So the prerequisite is humility. Before Daniel went to God for his people, he completely humbled himself. So humiliation. And then confession. Look at verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession. Why did he have to confess? Because when you genuinely see God, when you genuinely see the Lord, you understand your own sinfulness. And when I understand my own sinfulness, then I know better how to pray for someone else. It puts me in the right frame of mind and in the right spirit. None of us deserve to go to the, God, to go to the Father in prayer. Now, isn't it great? We're told to come boldly. Come boldly, not because you deserve it, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So we begin with humility and confession. And then look at verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God. How about that? That's not the God of the Christian bookstore, I can tell you that. That's not the God of the shack. That's not the God of your best life now or make every Friday a fr- every day a Friday or whatever. You see, we need to, when we go to God, we go in humility, making confession and in great reverence. He's not the old man upstairs. Me and, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Just the disrespect of the way that God is mentioned in our culture, it's shocking to the believer. It's shocking to the believer. So, Daniel is demonstrating that when we're going to go before God, we must understand humility. We must understand that we have sin to confess. All of us are sinners. The Bible says in 1 John, If any man saith he has no sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So before I can approach God for someone else, I've got to make sure that my accounts are clean before God. Amen? Now let me say this. Really important. I'm saved and my accounts are clean before God. Because when He sees me, He sees the blood of Jesus Christ. That is my, that is my standing before God. But in actuality, I am still a sinner. 
I'm a saved sinner, praise God. And so, knowing the fact that I'm a saved man, now, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I confess, and then I acknowledge who God is. It's so important that we do that. It's the, the, the reverence that goes along with it. Okay? So, that's the, we understand that the possibilities are there. When, when you go to God, you have no idea what God can accomplish. We just go to Him and ask our requests and then sit back. How many of you ever prayed for something and God did so much more than you prayed for? Amen. Amen. And then we understand that there's some prerequisites, humility, confession, and reverence. And then what I want you to see here are some apparent priorities. And they're apparent because of the way that Daniel approached them. And the first priority of intercessory prayer is this. The first purpose of this is this, the priority. It's the Word of God. Why did Daniel know to pray about these 70 years? Because he had read it in the Word of God. Look at verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You see, genuine intercessory prayer is based on the priorities of God, not the priorities of man. So here's the idea. If I begin praying for Luke here, if I'm going to begin praying for him, if I am not biblically minded, then my priorities for him might be different than God's priorities for him. How many of you understand that that the worldly family members that you have those that either they're either not saved or they're saved but know nothing about God's word. How many of you understand that their priorities for your family are different than God's priorities? Have you all experienced that? You, you've experienced that. And so now we have to understand that before I can pray for someone else, I need to know what God has said about everything. You say, Pastor, I can't pray for somebody until I know God's word perfectly. No. But you can't biblically pray for them until you know what God has said about their situation. Now do you see why it might take some humility to come to God for someone? Have you ever prayed for something, then later on you found out in the Bible that you would prayed for something that was wrong? Yeah, I'm sure all of us have. All of us have. Now, of course, God's grace is wonderful, and the Holy Spirit took that prayer and changed it into exactly what God had desired for that person, according to Romans chapter 8. But... We're supposed to learn how to pray properly. This entire prayer is based on what Daniel had read in God's Word. We know how to pray for others, not on the basis of their circumstances, but on what God has said about their circumstances. We must understand the purposes and plans of God in order to know how to pray for someone else. The knowledge of God's promise. This is is really interesting to me. The knowledge of God's promise did not breed complacency in Daniel. All right, so here's how we would approach it. Tell me if, you know, just see if this would, you would identify with this. All right, Daniel's reading. Here I am reading the Bible, and I am 67 years into captivity, and I read that the captivity is only going to be 70 years. Here's what we would do. Get a chair, 
get a bag of popcorn, and just watch what's coming. Am I right? Seriously, how many of you, you're, you're with me on that? That's not what Daniel did. That's not what Daniel did at all. You see, knowledge of God's plan did not breed complacency in Daniel. Look at verse 19, chapter 9 and verse 19. Here's what it did for Daniel. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Here's what he said. When he saw what God said he was going to do, he sackcloth and ashes in humility. He went to the Father and said, Oh God, don't change your mind. Oh God, don't, don't step back from it. Oh God, please do what you said you were going to do for your name, for your glory. Do you know how Jesus Christ told us to pray for this? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Is Jesus Christ's kingdom coming? Is it going to come whether you pray for it or not? Yes. Why are you told to pray for it? Why? Because it aligns you with His purposes. It shows you what to pray for. The Bible says that we, we ask and have not because we ask amiss to consume it upon our own lust. The Bible says if we ask anything in His name, according to His will, He will accomplish it. What's Daniel doing? He is praying according to God's will. That's the sure way to get your prayers accomplished. You know the best way to get your prayers accomplished? Pray God's Word. Pray God's Word. That's what he was doing. God's Word informed him about how to pray. This is what it means to ask according to His will. Our wisdom will fail. His wisdom will never fail. You know that God has a plan for every person that He's ever created? Do you know that? You know that God's got a plan for you? All you young guys on this front row, all you guys, God has a plan, a specific plan for you. He has, he has something that He wants you to accomplish. Every person in this room, I don't care who you are, God has a plan for you. So the best way to pray for that person is to pray that God's plan would be accomplished in their life. But what if God's plan for Jacob is different than my plan for Jacob? Jacob's my son. What if God's plan for my son is different than my plan for my son? Then how do I pray? Oh, God, Lord, for Jacob, please, God, let my will be done. We would not say it that way. We wouldn't say it that way. But God knows exactly what's in our hearts. God knows exactly what's in our minds. So the best way that I can pray for Jacob is to know what God has said about the way a young man should live. That's how I can pray for him. 
Lord God, make him a godly young man. Protect him from things that would keep him from that. Help me to raise him to love you. Help me not to be a hindrance in his spiritual growth. You see, all of a sudden, my prayer for him is different. It's different. So the foundation of his prayer is the Word of God. And so, you can't really pray for someone else until you've been in the Word of God. Now, you can pray for them, but you can't pray effectively for them until you've been in the Word of God for them. You know, if you've got a friend who's in trouble, the best thing you can do is find out what the Bible says about that trouble and then pray that for him. Amen? We've already established that many of us see people in certain situations and we're not sure how to pray for them. Well, then what we ought to do is dig in the Word of God, find out what it says about their situation and how they got there, and then you know how to pray for them. So, the priority. And there are eight of these priorities, and we're not going to get through all eight of them this morning. The first one is the Word of God. The second priority, as I'm praying for someone else, is the will of God. The will of God. Daniel's prayer was inspired by the Word of God and based on the will of God. We must never ask God to do something for someone that is against His will. Amen? How about this? Imagine if I'm praying for Jacob, oh God, help him get into Berkeley. You think that's, do you think that would be God's will for Jacob? How many of you think it would be God's will for your child? Isn't that interesting? What's wrong with Berkeley? I don't have time. (laughs) Amen? So how are we going to pray for our kids? How are we going to pray for our kids? Lord, help my daughter to be beautiful for him. Or help my daughter to fit in at school and be popular. Your daughter comes home from school and she's in tears because they're making fun of the way she dresses. And you pray, Lord, help her fit in. When the prayer to be, Lord, help her to have the courage to be different. You see what happens? You see, our heart and our desire for our child can be a violation of God's will for that child. So we have to pray according to God's will. You might be praying for someone to get a job. How many of you know somebody that's out of work? We need to pray that they would have God's will, God's plan in that job. I just don't think that it's God's plan for somebody to move to an area where there's not a a good, solid Bible-preaching church. Well, there's good Bible-preaching churches everywhere. See, you pray that because you haven't been in God's Word. You don't know what God's Word says. If we genuinely understand God's Word, then we understand that many churches in America aren't accurately communicating God's Word. Would you all agree with that? How many of you have been on a trip? You've traveled. You've tried to find a good church. You think you found a good one. You go and you sit down there and you go, Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Laura and I went to a church one time with some friends in the Chicago area. And we got in there and ended up being one of these, you know, they, they just call them community church or fe- something fellowship or whatever. And you go in there and there was literally a guy doing calisthenics up and down the, the not the preacher, the, just somebody that was happy in Jesus running around all over the place. 
and all this weird stuff going on in the service. Then they have the Lord's Supper, and this guy, and he's saying all this weird stuff about the Lord's Supper. And the, the cup's coming by, and I, I looked at Laura. We hadn't been married very long, and I said, don't take that. <laughs> it, it, just weirdness. So how many think it's God's will that you take your family to a place where there's not a good, solid, Bible-believing church that will raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, establish them in the Word of God, establish them in the fellowship of the believer, establish them in the work, in the work of God? Do you think that's God's will? Hey, but I'm going to get $3 an hour more. You see? So we must pray according to the will of God. And the will of God is the same thing for everybody. God's will is the same thing for everybody. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that you be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's God's will that you, that you abstain from fornication. God's will is the same for everybody. God's plan is different, but God's plan for you will never violate His will for everyone. Amen? So we have to pray according to the will of God. So the priorities, if I'm going to pray for you through intercessory prayer, if I'm going to be a mediator between two parties that are at variance, if you're over here and there's something going on in your life that has you away from God, it's my job to come and pray for you. But it's got to be according to the word of God and according to the will of God. And then I want you to notice something else. This is our third. There are eight of these. Our third priority. And it's intensity. Look again at the way that Daniel approached God. Verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God. Now, how many of you think that was this? Hey, God, um, help Joe. How about this? Uh, and bless all the missionaries. Amen. Let's eat. How many of you think it was that kind of prayer? What is the... Uh, how would you describe the intensity of your prayer life for someone else? Because i got to tell you, I can get pretty intense in my prayer about me. Oh, God! It's so hard! <laughs> so it's, it's really easy to get intense about my own troubles. Oh, please help this. And Joe needs a job. And God remember me! <laughs> um, look with me. I want to show you a really interesting passage. Keep Daniel. Go to Job. Nobody knows. Job 42. And look at verse 10. An amazing verse. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You see that? And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Now, here's something that, that we all need to recognize, and it's so important. All of us go through trouble. Would you agree with that? If you're not going through trouble right now, you're going to. I promise you. So we're all going through trouble. 
You know where you are in the process spiritually when you can begin praying for someone else. How many think Job had some trouble? Yeah. Yeah. He lost all of his kids. All of them. Yeah. Like Kathy. That's trouble. I want you to notice something. How long into that process was this? Seven days. Do you see that? Now, now look, this is not Pastor Jim pounding on you. Why did it take you so long to get over that? Grow up! It's not that. You all right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He gets it all the time at home. Okay. It's not that. But isn't it really helpful to see this? All that happened to Job and things changed in Job's life when he got to the place where he could actually pray for his friends. And how many of you would enjoy friends like Job's? None of us. None of us. And yet, genuine prayer is where I can pray as intensely for you as I would for my deepest hurt. Now we understand where the Word of God and the will of God, where humility, confession, and reverence have to come into our intercessory prayer. And I I must say this. If there's anything that's lacking in my own prayer life, it is this. And I do pray for all of you, and I pray for many other people. But until I saw this, I don't think that my intensity in prayer, that my passion in prayer, has been the same. And that's sad. How many of you would say, you know what, Pastor? That might be true of me too. You see, God wants us to passionately, intensely bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason that we struggle so much with that is because we are really focused on self. Now look, I'm not not diminishing genuine problems. Did Job have genuine problems? And they are very real problems. And yet, God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. I am... Um, how many of you have ever caught yourself being more merciful than God? Right? That's not generally a problem for me. But I found an area where I had done that. The life of Job. Job was a perfect man, righteous, and a shoot evil. And Satan came and before God, and God said, Look at my servant Job. And God gave Satan permission to afflict Job terribly. And in my mind, I don't know that I had expressed it, but it really came out this week as I was studying. I had begun preaching this passage. I was going to preach the Job passage, and the Lord moved me over to Daniel. And here's what came up in my mind. This really isn't fair. 
I don't like this. God, I don't like what you did to Job. That's what was in my heart. And you know, I, I didn't say it out loud, but it was, it was voiced in my mind. And there are lots of voices in my mind. <laughs> um, and I was reading a, a message by Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s, on this text, on the Job text. And listen to what he said. This is paraphrasing Spurgeon. He said, and Job had some sin in his life that needed to be purified. His attitude toward other people when he was in trouble wasn't right. It wasn't right. And so God pulled out of that fire of tribulation silver, pure. And Job was able then to pray for his friends. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't righteous. He was living righteously, but he wasn't righteous. He needed to be purified. And God was purifying him. And so we have to understand as we approach God that we need to have the same intensity for the needs of others and the reconciliation of others to God and the salvation of others and the needs of other brothers and sisters in Christ as we do for ourselves. So these priorities, the Word of God, the will of God, intensity. Look at Daniel. Let's go back to Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 6. And remember, there's a decree that you couldn't pray to anyone but the king. Look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, did he do that in response to the decree? Look at what it says. As he did aforetime. You see, here's how intense Daniel was in prayer. He did it three times a day out loud. He was intense. He was intense. He was committed to prayer. And I would ask you, how often, how much time do you spend in concentrated prayer to God? Specifically going a specific time to go to the Lord for someone else. This is so convicting to me. Because you guys know me with my focus problems. It's difficult for me to just get down and pray. Oh, God, please be with Dan in his heart surgery. I like that car. I wonder how the Yankees are going to do this year. I promise. That's what, uh, that is. And it's not that slow. It's like. <laughs> I close my eyes and pray. But that doesn't, that doesn't remove the responsibility of specific prayer for others on a regular basis. I've tried to use the excuse of praying without ceasing that I'm going to pray while I'm doing everything else. No, we need to have a specific time of prayer where we set aside time to pray for others intensely, intensely. The Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All right, so then we're going to finish this tonight, but let me get to this next one and we'll be done. This next one. 
Oh, and I don't like this one. So these priorities, the Word of God, the will of God, intensity, and then selflessness. Selflessness. Look at what it says in verse 3. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant of mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. Look at verse 5. We have sinned. We have sinned. You see, this idea of selflessness, do you remember Moses? Moses was called the meekest man on the face of the earth. How did he demonstrate that meekness? Well, when the children of Israel had sinned, God said, I am not going to go with them. I am going to make of you a great nation. How about that? How many of us could resist that? Look, all these people, look at them. They're all wicked. I'm done with them. Here's what I'm going to do. Michael, I'm going to make you the father of a new world. You're going to be my chosen vessel. Let's get rid of them. I'm going to start over with you. You understand that's what God offered Moses. Do you know what Moses did? He said, no, Lord. He said, I would rather you blot my name out of the book of life. Do you know what Moses recognized? Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. And you have a chosen people. And you have a plan for those people. Lord God, honor your name. You see, that's selflessness. That's selflessness. You see, as I pray for you, my desire for you is not the issue. God's desire for you is the issue. As I pray for you, it's not about me. It's about God and His purpose for you. And I'll tell you, the hardest thing for us to do, especially as Americans, because you've come a long way, baby. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Right? It's all about me. Uh, my, my, I have this iCloud at me.com. Really? Doesn't that sound like Laodicea? Rights of the people? Because thou sayest, I am increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that there are wicked and wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That, that's where we are. We are so self-centered. It's so hard. Lord, I have so many problems. How can I pray for them? You know, that would be a great way to approach God. I'm serious. I'm serious. And have God reveal to you just how unbelievably blessed you are. And then remove yourself from the equation and say, God, you know what I want for my wife? What do you want for her? Lord, you know what I want for my kids? Help me to remove that. What do you want for them? Selflessness. Selflessness. And here's where this comes to us as parents. We can have a dream. Um, you know, this generation less than the last. I think in the 60s, one of the things that happened was parents wanted their kids to have a better life than they had had. And the result is free love. The result is if it feels good, do it. And then you come into the 70s and 80s and through the 70s with the oil embargo and the, the trouble in the economy and 21% uh, interest rates. And then it's a new morning in America. And the gipper comes in. 
and everything's going to be great. And we have a, the economy starts going again and people get excited and it becomes about accumulation and we end up with the tech bubble that explodes and then we end up with the housing bubble and it explodes. And it's all about stuff and stuff and more stuff. And this whole next election is going to be who can make sure that I can keep my stuff? And that's where we are as Americans when we ought to be on our face and say, Lord God, Help me to die to self because there are so many people around me that need you. Selflessness. Selflessness. Tonight we're going to look at the next four, belonging, confession, the character of God and God's glory, all those things that are required for intercessory prayer. But I know this. Remember what Samuel said? But God forbid that I should sin and not praying for you. I wonder if you have sinned in not praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'll, I'll tell you when, when I am heartbroken. When someone comes and tells me about a, a surgery or an issue that they had had, and I think, I forgot to pray for them about that. How many of you have experienced that? Yeah. But God forbid that I should sin ceasing to pray for you. The Apostle Paul talks about that with, his, with many of his people. Well, there's a church at Philippi, Ephesus, all these different churches. And he said, I cease not to make mention of you day and night in prayers. I wonder if we're being like the Apostle Paul or if we are so, so distracted by the cares of this life that we're not praying for each other. So here's my challenge for you today. Come boldly for someone else. Come boldly for someone else. Come in humility. Come with confession. Come with reverence. Come according to the Word of God, according to the will of God. Come intensely and die to self. Remove your desires from that person's life and say, God, have your purpose accomplished. What did Jesus Christ pray? Lord, not my will, but thine be done. There's a song that says that the hardest thing to pray is not my will, but thine. So help us. Help us as believers. Ask the Lord. Reverently go to Him. Have you ever found yourself praying, commanding God? And God, help this person. God, heal this person. God, take care of this. Hey, chop, chop. I got stuff to do. Hey, God, get on this. Is that humility and reverence? No. Let's approach God in the right way. Let's come boldly. Let's come boldly with humility and thanksgiving for someone else. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.